That's pretty neat. Uh, go all the way there to the gospel goes all the way there. That's, that's an amazing thing. Uh, today at 5.15, there's going to be a neat opportunity to meet. Where are we meeting, Venkat? In the fellowship hall, we'll meet at 5.15. If you're interested in being involved in visitation, uh, helping to visit guests that have come or uh, to visit uh, members that uh, haven't come, like, you know, they stopped kind of attending during COVID and, and uh, somehow they haven't gotten the memo that uh, they can come back. We, we want to have a, a meeting and kind of uh, get organized and so forth and encourage people to, to come and uh, be in church. So today at 515 in the Fellowship Hall, if you could come. Uh, last, uh, last week I was uh, presented a... Uh, uh, a great uh, bag with uh, some chocolate-covered can- uh, cherries and uh, some wonderful cards. Uh, thank you very much for uh, all those cards and for the gift bag. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and um, we're looking at verses 11 through 16. I personally thought the whole gift bag and cards thing was so much fun, I thought we could do it again today, but I'm getting a feeling that maybe it won't happen again today, but it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is the Word of the Lord. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom uh, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we look into your word that your spirit would, would work among us. Father, if there's someone here that's not saved, that today will be the day of salvation, that today they will put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Father, I pray that um, uh, for some They've been weary, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would just comfort and encourage. Father, I pray that some of us, maybe we've been sinning, and we need to repent. I pray that the Spirit would convict us and show us those things that we need to change. Father, our desire is to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Specialist who these specialists are, I have no idea. But specialists say that it's important 
to have a healthy self-image. And by that they mean that uh, a person needs to catalog and think about their positive traits more than their negative ones. So it, you end up doing a self-inventory and you kind of say, well, this is, I do this pretty good, I don't do this very well, I do this, and kind of focus your mind on those things that you do well and, and have a, <coughs> a, a positive self-image. Uh, I, I, I don't know about that, um, but thinking about terms of doing a self-inventory, uh, I wonder if we were to do a a self-inventory, a self-assessment, self-evaluation, would you consider yourself to be a strong Christian? Now, as I say strong Christian, you might be thinking, you know, somebody like the Hulk, you know, huge, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who uh, has grown to the image of Christ. It's somebody who, in their thought process, in their actions, they continually seek to do the will of the Father. They're continually yield to the Spirit. And that doesn't mean that everything is good in their life, but rather they are obedient even through suffering. And I'll give you an example. When Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that uh, he was praying. And he was not saying, Yay, I get to go to the cross. This is so exciting. No, he, he was praying to the Lord, if this cup could pass by me, but he'd rather do the will of the Father. Now, <clears throat> thinking about that, a person who is in the image of Christ is also someone who wants to serve. They're, they're involved in serving. You know that Jesus was involved in the life of, of John, and then he was also involved in the life of uh, is this clean water? Yes, sir. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Uh, Jesus, you saw him investing his life in the life of others. In John, in the three, in his 12, uh, you saw him serving even in the larger scheme of the 120 the ladies that were following and serving. Uh, he, he served the multitudes, food. Being in the image of Christ is being someone who is continually investing their life in the life of other people uh, for them. So would you consider yourself a strong Christian? Or would you consider yourself a weak Christian? Now what in the world is a weak Christian? A weak Christian is an individual who, who lacks discernment. Any doctrine that comes, any which way that the wind blows, that's where they're going. They hear somebody over here and they're like, yes! And then somebody over here and yes! And just every which way, wherever the wind blows, that's where they're going. They have no discernment at all. Another thing that's uh, particular about a a weak Christian, is if a strong Christian is always serving others, a weak Christian is always preoccupied with themselves. Always. Always. I mean, always. If 
the music was sung too fast. The music was sung too slow. Oh, it's so cold in here. Oh, it's so hot in here. I mean, everything is just, I mean, just all the time. And that's how they live. They're, they're always focused on themselves. They're, they don't think about anybody else. Oh, that's a weak Christian. They get moved around, tossed to and fro as children. And then they're very, very uh, selfish. Now, depending on how you have done this self-assessment, are you a strong Christian or are you a weak Christian? You've done the self-assessment. You should be choosing one of the others, right? And I'm assuming that you have the ability to choose one of the other because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have trusted in the gospel and you are believing. So based on your self-assessment, if you're a strong Christian, then that means that you are already invest in your life in the life of other people. You're looking for opportunities. You're looking for opportunities to serve, uh, to minister, to encourage, to help people to grow stronger. But what if you said, well, I'm a weak Christian in your self-assessment? Well, then in, in some way, you would need to start thinking of a game plan right now, right? Like, if where I'm at is a weak Christian, how, how do I get over here to be a strong Christian? Right? That, that's what you should have been thinking the moment you said, you know what? That, that's me. <laughs> I'm the one. That, that's me. Then, then there should be some type of planning. How can I get from being a weak Christian to being a strong Christian? And you have to analyze a little bit, why are you a weak Christian? Maybe it's because you lack biblical knowledge. Our church offers wonderful Bible studies. We have Sunday school. Uh, we have Sunday evening. We have Wednesday. We have this service. And if what you're lacking, and on top of that we have men's breakfast, women's Bible studies, uh, Bible drill, we have lots of opportunities for you to increase in knowledge. Uh, so if what you're lacking is knowledge, then we have opportunities here for you to increase in knowledge. You say, well, no, no, I, I know a lot of things. What I lack is, is opportunity to serve because I, I've never done it before, and so I, I, I'm kind of scared uh, to start doing this the first time. So then what you need is a mentor, right? Somebody who can uh, disciple you in XYZ and then uh, you go and watch him disciple or her disciple somebody else, and then that person watches you disciple somebody, and then you can be doing that ministry. Now, based on this self-assessment that you've done about strong Christian or weak Christian, uh, what action steps are you thinking about doing? Now, that makes people feel uncomfortable. They say, well... I really don't want to do any action steps. Uh, is there maybe a, a third option? Maybe a balance between the two. Maybe there's a third option, which is, it kind of balances the two. And that would look like something like this. I have some knowledge, which means I wouldn't be required to come to all the services. I just, you know, have to come Sunday morning. Uh, and I don't need somebody involved in 
my life, you know, helping me grow. <clears throat> but, but I have weakness. And this weakness, uh, 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 I'm not strong enough to be able to minister and serve others. It may, maybe there's a third option where it's kind of like this, I'm strong enough where I don't have to come, but I'm weak where I can't invest my life in the life of other people. Is there an option like that? Sadly, that's where a lot of Christians want to live. In the area of wanting to have some information, but not enough information to be able to minister and serve to other people. Uh, now, thinking about this, uh, the Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. It's a great book. It's, it's directed towards pastors, but you don't have to be a pastor to read it. I would encourage you to, to pick it up. It's not a very thick book. But he makes a very bold statement that if a Christian's wanting to live in that capacity, where they kind of have information, but they don't want to live it out, he questions... It's not me now, so don't get mad with me. He questions if that person is even saved. He says, how could it possibly be that a person redeemed, saved from their sins, would want to just go through life in that fashion? Now, thinking about this, uh, the person who tends to be like this, they consider themselves certain weakness where... Uh, they don't want to minister, but then they want to be considered quite mature. And in this maturity, uh, they want to be left to be able to walk by themselves. Uh, now, we've had, uh, my wife and I have had three kids, and uh, it, it's all happened at some point with all three of them. And uh, what's happened is that they've been able to get to a point where they can start taking some steps, Right? And they, they want to walk. And so you uh, kind of, it kills your back, but you kind of hold their hands and help them walk, right? Now, what, what happens after they've managed to do two steps? What, what is it that they want to do? I don't need your help, you know. I've got this. I can do this by myself, right? Now, now mothers don't do this, but, but fathers do this. Uh, fathers will make sure that the area is not very dangerous. And then what will the fathers do? Oh, you want to walk by yourself? Go for it. And then what happens? Oh, hold me. You know, it happens with all three of them. And guess what? I did the same thing. Because that's what babies do. That's what small kids do. They're like, I'm a big boy. I don't need anybody to hold my hand. And then, boom, they fall. And unfortunately, that's how uh, Christians are sometimes. I don't want you to be, uh, you know, seeing where I'm at if I'm coming to the services or not. I know how to manage my Christian life. I, I know how to read the scriptures. I don't need you asking about what I'm watching or, or what I'm reading or, or what I'm listening to. I don't need any of that. You say, okay, you're a mature Christian. So you back off. And then what happens? Oh, I got this thing happening in my life. And you're like, so there's that third option. I would suggest you not to self-assess yourself into that third option. That's the worst option to be in. Now, by thinking about this, though, I would wonder if you would ask yourself, how do you see me? 
How do you see me? As in, what function do I have in your life? What function do I have in your life? As in, am I only here to, to marry and bury you? Is that, is that my, you know, the, tum, the sum total of what I'm supposed to do? Or maybe I'm supposed to be maybe a, an entertainer. Something, you know, kind of like Mary Poppins. Remember Mary Poppins? She would give the medicine, but she'd give it with what? A spoonful of sugar, you know? And that just made everything better. And then you remember that scene where they're cleaning up the room? And what is she doing? Oh, she's got magic, and she's dancing, and she's singing, and voila, everything's in order. Is my job a, an entertainer? Kind of present you some spiritual things, but do it in a way that is nice. And then you just go away and go, ah, oh, that, that was fantastic. Like, like what, is, what is my role in this? My role is to help you to become a mature believer who is strong in your faith so that you look and act like Christ. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse uh, 2, Paul writes, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband, so that uh, to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray uh, from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. What was, what was Paul worried about? His desire was to present the church to Christ. But he was worried that deceit would come in and lead him astray. When you look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he's, he's going and, and giving the, um, the qualifications for an elder. And he's telling Titus what they need to do. He says, uh, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set and order what remains and appoint elders to every city as I directed. And then he gives a whole list of qualifications of this elder. And then it gets down to verse 9. It says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sword gain. Uh, here Paul is telling them, this is your responsibility that the elders want to do. He's going to make sure that there's sound doctrine in the church. Now, my desire for you is to present you with sound doctrine to the Lord as mature believers. You might be tempted to say at this point, but I am a mature believer. The last pastor or the pastor before him or the pastor before him, he made me a mature believer. I don't need you to do that. And, and that's fantastic. Praise the Lord for that. But, <coughs> But that's just the thing about 
maturity. It's not something that you arrive at. Rather, it's something that gets practiced daily. Every day you humbly submit yourself before the Lord and you choose to obey God and be yielding to the Spirit. That's the thing about Christian maturity. It's not something that you get to and say, I'm here, I'm done. But rather, it's something that you strive at daily. That's a a, a mature Christian. They, They never see themselves as arriving. It's always going and trying and harder, harder. Now, here I am dropping trash into the place. Now, as we see this, and we look at our text here, and this is, I know it's a long introduction, but we're going to be talking about gifts. And last week, we talked about gifts that were given, and I tied it specifically to salvation. But now, we're going to be looking at some other gifts, and these gifts are given for the purpose of edifying the body. Uh, these are given individually, and uh, they're given for the purpose of edification. So what we're going to be looking at is that Christ victoriously gives us gifts and leads us to heaven through all the pain of this world. Christ gives us gifts, and we see that in verse uh, 11. And He, which is Christ, He gave. That word has this idea, it's an expression of generosity, to donate, to give something. Not out of obligation, but out of the free will, the desire to give, to bestow something. We saw over in verse 7 that uh, to each one of us, grace was given. So grace was given. uh, This was bestowed upon. And I said at that point that grace here was given according to the measure. As in, he saw all your sins... And he bestowed grace to cover all those. And not only did he see all your sins, but he also saw all your pains, all the difficulties that you would go through, all the heartaches, and he bestowed grace for those too. We can't live in this world with our own strength. We can only do it with the grace that has been measured out. But here now, we're moving to a, a, a gift that is given, not for the individual, but now the gift is given for the body. It's given for the body, for the body of Christ. And now what has he given? Well, he mentions some gifts here. It says uh, he gave some apostles. Apostle uh, has three different meanings. And the temptation is, to see a word, it's a, it's a huge exegetical fallacy. To see a word and to throw all the theology uh, onto the meaning of, of that word and that occurrence, regardless of context. So what are the three meanings? Well, the most basic meaning of an apostle is somebody who is sent. It's just a messenger. It's somebody who has a message and they're being sent to go deliver that message. It can be used in a more specialized form. Remember in Acts chapter 1, 21 and 22, you have uh, uh, Judas is gone, and they're trying to decide who's going to be the next apostle. And they made a list of criteria. The person had to see the ministry of Jesus 
and also the resurrection. Remember that? And uh, so they decide on who they're going to pick. And so in that case, an apostle is somebody who's during the ministry of Jesus and also saw the ascension, the resurrection. Then there's a third category of an apostle. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8 and 9. Uh, in this text, uh, if you want to go and see it, Paul is describing himself. And he's talking about Christ being raised, but he says over in um, verse 8. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So you have a different uh, criteria now for Paul. Christ appeared to him, but he's not considering himself uh, in, in the requirements that Acts chapter 1, 21 uh, and 22 have. So three possibilities. Now thinking about this, uh, what is our text indicating? Are we talking about an apostle like uh, the 12? Are we talking about an apostle kind of like Paul? Or are we talking about in this context only a, an apostle in the sense that the person is uh, sent? Uh, that's what we have to decide. And before we decide, I think it'd be better to kind of look at all the terms. So we'll stay at the edge of our seats, like wondering, what in the world could it be, right? So don't, let's not make up our mind. What else did he give? He gave apostles. He also gave prophets. Uh, a prophet also has different meanings depending on context. It, it can mean a person that tells stuff of the future. For example, Daniel and Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Jesus, John. Remember, he's at the island of Patmos. He gets this revelation, tells of stuff future that's going to happen. But a prophet is also somebody who just declares the word of God. And again, you have Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Jesus that just declare the word of God. So context will determine what type of prophet it is. Now, when we're looking at this text here, which one is it? Is it a prophet that is telling stuff of the future? Or is it a prophet that just is proclaiming God's word, kind of preaching God's word? Uh, what could it be? Well, let's just wait. Let's not, let's not define it yet. What else is being given? Well, if we look in our text, he's also handing out evangelist. Evangelist. An evangelist is somebody that proclaims a good news, says something good. It, it can be somebody who proclaims the gospel, which is good news. The gospel has bad news that the person is a sinner on their way to hell. But the good news is that God has sent his son to die for them and to save them of their sins. So he's given evangelists. Is this something that is still being given out? Or has this stopped? How, how should we understand this word? Well, let, let's, let's look furthermore. And it says, and some pastors a pastor. This, uh, this word is uh, used for a shepherd of, of sheep, but it can also have the idea of a leader. For example, it's used in Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through 10. And in Ezekiel 
34, 1 through 10, God is really against the, uh, the leaders of Israel. I mean, really, he's just going after them because the leaders of Israel have just been taking advantage of the sheep. He's been grab- They've been taking and taking and taking, and he's done with them. And uh, it says over in uh, 11 through 31 that he was going to send his own shepherd. His own shepherd was going to come and establish order there in, in Israel. And uh, they were to look forward to this shepherd that was going to be coming. Now, looking at this, this gift of shepherd is the only occurrence that it happens in the New Testament concerning a local church this gift of pastor. Uh, You'll find the word appear several other times, but not as an individual gifted with the pastor. You do find it a couple times uh, in mention of, for example, of Christ, uh, Hebrews 13.20, now the God of peace who brought up the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. It's also mentioned in 1 Peter 2.25 For you were continually straying like sheep, but but now you have returned uh, to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Uh, As we think about this, this is the only time that it's mentioned to as a gift in the local church. We do find the, the verbal form of it over in Acts. Acts chapter 19. Uh, if you remember in Acts chapter, sorry, Acts 20. If you remember in Acts 20, uh, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem and he's called the elders of Ephesus and they've come together. And he's talking to the elders and verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. So there's the verbal form of our word. And they're to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things. So uh, to shepherd, the elders were to shepherd, it carried this idea of being theologically sound to guard off the people coming in and also the people rising up in the church. Uh, So he's given the gift of pastors. Is this a gift that is continually being given, or has this stopped? Is it it, uh, tied to the apostles? Is this all one gift? Are they different people? Some like to think of uh, the gift of pastor-teacher, there's a, a, a change in the way that the construction is done uh, when it deals with teachers. And there is a group of Christians who kind of hold to this idea of the pastor-teacher. Uh, the pastor should be able to teach. That's, that's a requirement. But not all teachers are pastors. And it would be kind of wrong to think about that in, in that, that view. Now, are teachers still be given? Well, we have to now look at and how to apply this. Uh, to whom did God give these gifts? In, in this text, who is he giving it to? Well, he is choosing all on his own to whom he wants to give it to. 
And what's interesting is that he's not giving it to professionals. And how do I know that? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20, you remember that Jesus gives the Great Commission to go and make disciples, right? And, and, and their, their <laughs> scope is going to be to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, you remember that uh, Jesus is about to ascend. He's about to go up into heaven. And they say, is now when you're going to establish your kingdom? Didn't you just hear what I said? You're supposed to go throughout the whole world and make disciples. What do you mean? Why are you asking me if I'm going to set up the kingdom now? They're not professionals. They're fishermen. They're common, everyday folk like us. But he gives the gifts. And these gifts are for a purpose. It says, for the equipping of the saints and the work of the service for the building up of the body of Christ. It has a purpose in giving this. He doesn't give it out to professionals. He gives it out as he chooses. Now, are the spiritual gifts equal to offices? Well, that's an interesting question to, to examine. Are these offices that are being given out, or are they gifts? Well, the answer is gifts. An office is different in that the office uh, has certain requirements. For example, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 through 7, it talks about the overseer, the, the bishop. And it's the person who has the office of the bishop must meet these requirements. It, it has to. Uh, if you go on to read 8 through 13, <coughs> you have that of the deacon. And it has a list of requirements. The church only has two offices. And in those two offices, there's a list of requirements that this person must meet to be able to fulfill this ministry. A gift God gives. An office has a list of qualifications to be able to serve in that capacity. This is, unfortunately, a huge mistake that many times happens. Now, a church will see somebody gifted in a certain area, and they'll say, hey, let's make him the pastor. Or, hey, let's make this guy the deacon. And without seeing if that person ever qualifies to be in that position. So there is a difference between the gift and the office. So now then the question comes, are all of these still being given? Are all of these gifts still being given? And I'll give you three uh, main ideas of how people interpret this. The first one would say, yes, all of these gifts are given. Furthermore, the gift of apostle and prophet is, is apostles just like Peter, uh, just like John. God is still giving these type of apostles. And yes, God is still giving these type of prophets. And these churches will have apostles so-and-so come and preach, and, and they'll preach and, and so forth, and they'll have prophets so-and-so come forth and, and give a word, and they'll come forward and give a word. So that's one way of interpreting. Another group interpret it and say, well, um, I feel that uh, the apostle and prophets were given and they are no longer given because they're interpreting apostle and prophet as being uh, just like the apostles and prophets of uh, Acts 1, 21 and 22. 
and the prophets of the Old Testament, or like John. And so they say, those are no longer happening, but we continue to have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So that's a second group. In both of those cases, they've, they've thrown all the theology possible to the word apostle and prophets. That's what they've done. There's a third option that says that all of these gifts are continually given now, but does not accept that all theology must be thrown onto the word apostle and prophet. You see what I'm saying? That it can be taken in a more general sense as just somebody sent, like a missionary. When the church, uh, when the church in Antioch sent out Barnabas and Paul to go do the ministry, they sent them out to go spread the gospel. And these people went and preached. Uh, here, you don't have to. There's nothing in the text that says you must throw all theology onto the word or all under, theological understanding on the word apostle and prophet. God, Christ, is giving these gifts, and it's for the equipping of the saints for the working. Now, let's just assume that you agreed with me there, that all these are given off. Not in a technical sense, but just in a general sense of people like missionaries who are sent out, people sent out to preach, evangelists, etc., etc. Let's assume for a moment, let's assume for a moment that you're, you, you know the action figures, if you look on their foot, that says, you know, G.I. Joe or whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the, the little action figures, you can see it says Mattel and Made in China and so forth. Let's assume for a moment that your spiritual gift was on the bottom of your shoe. You could like look at it. Huh, I got a pastor. Now, some of you guys aren't looking at the bottom of your shoe. You're like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what I have. And that's the question that I'm wondering. If you could know what spiritual gift you had, would you want to know? And if you had one of these spiritual gifts, what would you do with it? Would you develop it? And look to use it? Or would you kind of like rub it off your foot? I can't see it. It's kind of blurry. Oh, well, I guess I can't serve the Lord. I don't know what my gift is. What, what would you do if you knew what gift Christ had given you? Any gift of the Lord can be enhanced by how one lives, right? Like, uh, it, it, it's kind of not serve its purpose. Like, for example, if you saw uh, Friday uh, on the news, uh, my car and me driving, you know, on 45 and 10 cops behind me, and they're trying to stop me, and then I come up here and say, we need to live in obedience to the Lord. Like, dude, you're running from the cops. You hypocrite, Right? So our, our lifestyles have an impact in how we use these gifts, right? How would you use the gift? How would you develop it? Are you interested in such a thing? Or you say, no, again, I'd prefer to be in that Christian who can walk on my own, but not enough to serve other people. God gifts, Christ gifts us so that we can use it for its honor and glory. Remember the Christian at the beginning? In your self-assessment, 
Are you a strong Christian or are you a weak Christian? If you're a weak Christian, are you making a game plan to become a strong Christian? Are you thinking of action steps so you can move from over here to over here? Or are you content of staying where you're at? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for this text. I pray now as we think about it and meditate on it, if there is something we need to repent of, I pray that during this time of invitation we'll repent. Father, if someone to come here and pray, I pray that you would lead them to do so. Father, if there's someone here unsaved, they're not a weak Christian, they're not a Christian at all, I pray that today they can be saved and then pursue to be a strong Christian. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Time will uh, conclude the invitation. Uh, we're always available to talk. Um, the guy beside you is willing to talk with you. Uh, so please, if you have any questions, don't 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 wait till you get home. Just talk to whoever is beside you across the aisle, and they'll be more than willing to pray with you or share the gospel. We have, I think, a little fundraiser to help uh, cover cost of shipping for the boxes, a lemonade stand. So. You can get free water and coffee out here, that's true, but you can get uh, lemonade and coffee out in the breezeway for a donation. Uh, and this will, all the funds will be going to help cover the cost of postage uh, for, the, for the boxes. So uh, if, you, if you get the free one, you know, we won't judge you, we'll just look at you. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, please lead us in the last song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by.